Genesis 28. Uh, two observations here before we get started in Genesis 28 is, first off, some of you look like you're dressed like it's the middle of January. Just an observation. And number two, some of you are not sitting in your appropriate age sections, according to the balloons. We have a lot of people in the four and fives and nine and twelves, and I know you're not. Um, Genesis 28, we're going to do the whole chapter here tonight, continuing our study here through the book of Genesis. We left off last week with Jacob stealing the blessing from Esau, from his father Isaac. And basically, if you weren't with us last week, we basically said, everybody's wrong. Everybody's wrong in that chapter. Isaac was trying to get around God's will. Rebecca wasn't being faithful and patient and waiting for God's will. Jacob's just outright lying. Esau's so angry he wants to kill his brother. There's really nobody that we could stop and say what a good example they are. We should share that verse in Corinthians about how Paul also wrote that these Old Testament people were given as examples. Sometimes they're examples of what to do. Sometimes they're examples of what not to do. So last week, really not a good example. So we left off with really... Jacob fleeing, his brother wants to kill him, so Jacob is now going to flee, and that's what's going on here tonight. So, verse 1 of Genesis, actually we'll back up real quick to verse 46 of Genesis 27. It says, Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth like these, who are the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to be? So basically she uses this excuse, saying to her husband, hey, we need to get Jacob out of here, because if not... He's not going to marry a good gal. That's her way of trying to protect her son. Get him out of there. So, he takes off verse 1 of 28. Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Badan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there for the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that may be an assembly of peoples. And give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, and the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. There's a lot of words in there. We have a tendency to hear that and kind of just shut our minds off. Got two quick things here to show you. First one, quick slide, if you wouldn't mind there, the first one, Dustin. Just a quick map here to show us the area that we're dealing with and what's kind of going on. You can see here he's going up to Badan Aram, which is Haran. He's down here in the Beersheba area. This is quite a trek. This is a long ways away. This is from where originally Abraham was from. This also gets him a safe distance from his brother Esau. Esau's not going to track him all the way up there. So first point is you see him going. We're going to have a quick pit stop here in Bethel, which we'll get to in just a couple of verses. But you can see the distance that he's going up there. So that's the first one. We see Padanaram. Second, you're wondering who this is in verse 2, the side of Bethuel and Laban, etc. If you follow the genealogy, really what she's saying is, I want him to go marry one of his cousins. That's what she's saying. Go back to this area, find one of my nieces, your cousin, and marry her. So get away from these gals here in this area, because this is not God's people. So let's go back to this area here, find one of your cousins, one of my nieces, and that's what's going to happen. And we're introduced in verse 5 to Laban. This would be Rebekah's brother. Laban plays a a very key role in the next couple chapters. Laban, if you're making a list of people in the Bible, he's not on the good side. So he's on the bad side. So... Very simply put, Jacob is leaving, going back to his grandfather's home area, getting away from his brother who wants to kill him. He's going to look for one of his cousins to marry. And that's where we're at right now. 
Now, I find this kind of interesting, especially when we look at verse 3. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you. We've been talking about this phrase, fruitful and multiply, now ever since we started our study in Genesis. And this great blessing that God's going to bring upon them to be fruitful and multiply so far has a total of three descendants. Isn't that fascinating? God told Abraham, you're going to be fruitful. You're going to multiply. Abraham had one child that the Lord was going to use. And now Isaac, this chosen child, you're going to be fruitful and multiplying. What does he have? He has two kids. Now Jacob kicks it up a notch. He has 12 boys. But still, there's a quick point here. And the point is very simple. Patience. Patience in the Lord. And I have never met a single Christian who says, I have never struggled with patience. Anytime I teach on patience, that's all I hear about is somebody coming up and saying how difficult patience is. It's interesting for you good old King Jamesers out there, instead of saying patience, it uses this term called long-suffering. Just break down that word, long-suffering. That's your definition of patience sometimes, is long-suffering. What is the opposite of being patient? Well, jump back to our study last week. You have Rebecca trying to hurry up God's will. And I have never seen possible for a Christian to make God move faster. It just doesn't work. Patience and trusting the Lord. So when God says you're going to be fruitful and multiply, verse 3, it will happen. It will will happen. It's going to take a couple hundred years, but it's going to happen. So the same thing happens in your life. If the Lord says, I hear your prayer, and your grandchild, your son, your daughter, your friend, your spouse, whatever that you're spiritually concerned about, and the Lord has responded to you and said, trust me, I'm moving in their life, be patient. The fruit may not come in your lifetime, but the fruit will come if he said it will. If you're waiting for the Lord to move a mountain in one area of your life, be patient. God teaches us a lot through patience, and it's a lesson we need to constantly keep learning. What's the flip side here of Jacob? Well, verse 6, Esau Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padam Aram and take himself a wife from there. And that as he blessed him, he gave him charge, saying, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Padanaram. Also Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. So what does Esau do? Verse 9, Esau went to Ishmael and took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nabajeth, to be his wife in addition to the wives he had. Okay, what does Esau do? Hey, mom and dad didn't want Jacob to marry one of these girls. I guess I'll go get one. Now, that's what Esau does. Have you ever met an Esau? Esau's are frustrating. I mean, seriously, we, we got five boys. We have at least two Esau's every day. If one of the boys will build this creation out of Legos and leave it there and say, hey, don't touch it. I'm going to go get mom or dad to show them. And by the time they get back, some little Esau touched it. The, the, these Esau's see what goes on. And look at his logic here. Hey, it would make my parents unhappy if I would purposely do what's wrong, so he purposely does what's wrong. This is his way of getting back. This reveals his heart. I really wish that Esau would have worked it out, and I really wish that there's some passage later on that maybe makes some reference to Esau getting it figured out, and we'll see Esau in heaven, but I I don't think he does. That's the problem with him. He has gone so far south into the world, and we've spent at least two studies on the nature of Esau, that this man is emotional, This man follows his flesh. This man follows his lusts and his sins. He has no thought of what is good, right, or holy. The Bible says that he disdained the blessing. This man doesn't want anything to do with the Lord. To be quite honest, Jacob's not much better. 
But what you see here as we take Jacob's life through the next few chapters, you see the Lord moving in Jacob's life and Jacob responding. Right now, still there's nobody to say they're a good example. Nobody's a good example yet. But we'll see what happens here with Jacob. But before we get into Jacob here, what happens in verse 10? Anybody have any quick questions, comments about anything we've covered thus far? The blessing going to Padanaram or Esau and his wife that he chose. All righty. Let's see what happens with Jacob. Verse 10. Now Jacob went out from Bathsheba and went towards Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place and put it at his head and he laid down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven, and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. You've heard the term Jacob's ladder before. This is what it comes from. Jacob is out here in the middle of the wilderness. He's sleeping on a stone, and as he's sleeping, God gives him this vision of what's going on. Remember that idea of the ladder. We're going to come back to that at the end. Here's the thing. This is what I've noticed in my life is the Lord usually talks to me at night. When I say the Lord usually talks to me, I'm not having visions of ladders and angels descending and ascending on it. This is what I mean by the Lord talks to me at night. It's been a long day, and you're just ready to go to bed. So as soon as you lay down, there's just that instant euphoria of just you're in bed. And as I'm just laying there at night, I'm going through all the phone calls and texts I went through in situations, and I'm praying. That's what I do every night before I go to bed. Anybody that contacted me during the day, I start going through mentally, and I, if I said, hey, I'll pray for you, I pray for them. What inevitably happens then is more situations start going through my head. So I now keep beside me this pencil and paper so that way I can just start writing down names of things I need to do. Because I used to go to bed and I would think this situation would be really heavy on my heart, and I'd be like, I really need to contact them tomorrow. So I'd be like, okay, I won't forget that. And I wake up the next morning, and, and obviously what? You forget that. So sometimes there's a teaching point, point. I want to write that down. Sometimes it's the middle of the night. I've shared with you before that as soon as I get up in the morning, that there's things that, okay, Lord, this is what you want me to do today. I write it down. Now, here's my thing. God's created us. He's created us beings that like to sleep. Some of you like to sleep more than other people like to sleep. Why does he wait till night to do these type of things? In my personal opinion, that's the only time it's quiet. Think about what, when do you have a quiet time in your day? If I'm in the car going someplace and no one's with me, I inevitably turn on the radio. If I'm home or something like that and we're just sitting in the living room, it's inevitably you grab the remote, you flip the TV on, and you'll flip through every single station trying to find something. And then once you get through all the stations, your mind thinks, well, maybe there'll be something good on now. It's been a little bit, and you flip through them again. Okay, there's kids all over. I, the other day, I don't know if I've shared this story with you or not, I... Forgive me for repeating. The other day I was doing a text with somebody. It was a really important situation. We were all outside, and I needed quiet. So I go to the front of my house to respond to this text, and next thing you know, I got one kid coming around one side, one kid coming on the other side. I felt like I was being outflanked by the enemy. You can't get away. So I've come to the conclusion, the only time it's quiet in my life is when I lay down and go to bed. And it's almost like the Lord says, James, finally, we can talk. Because I'm not giving them enough time during the day. I want to fill my day with sounds and noises and things, etc. I have come to the conclusion that that time at night is the time where the Lord says, don't forget this. Don't forget. It's almost like a mom going through that checklist. Don't forget. Don't forget. So I just start writing it all down. So why is it that Jacob, the Lord speaks to him at night? My personal opinion, when we meet Jacob up in heaven, I believe he's one of those guys that will never stop talking. I just envision that. 
I bet you the only time the Lord could get a hold of Jacob is when he was sound asleep. So I started thinking about this idea of night and the Lord speaking to us. Because I started thinking of all these people and situations in the Bible. It's like, Lord, you kind of got a theme going here. I just want to share a couple of verses with you real quick. Dustin, can you put those up? I limited it just to the book of Psalms. Look at all these verses here. First one, Psalm 16, 7. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. At night is when I chew on things, when I listen to stuff. Sometimes I'll go to bed with a message playing and just chewing on what that pastor is saying. Psalm 63, 6. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate you in the night watches. I think sometimes we're very selfish with our time. We've worked hard. We've spent a full day doing stuff. So nighttime, bedtime is my time. The psalmist keeps saying this is a wonderful time to be at the Lord. Psalm 119, 55. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and I keep your law. Psalm 119, 48. My eyes are awake through the night watches that I might meditate on your word. I just want to encourage you with this because you, you know what's going to happen tonight, don't you? You're not going to be able to go to bed. I don't care if you curse me and you sleep. I'm telling you right now, this is biblical. The Lord waits to that moment where you have nothing else. He says, now I can finally talk to you. I believe that happens with Jacob. And so Jacob finally had this night vision because this is the time where God finally got him. Well, think about this. Jacob's finally alone. We know he was a mama's boy. We know that his dad was very wealthy. Don't you think that when Jacob was back home that there was never a dull moment? This is probably the first time in Jacob's life he's out there at night all by himself with no luxury, no nothing. He's looking up into heaven and that's when the Lord decides to speak to him. I've come to this conclusion when the Lord says it's time to speak, that means it's also time to listen. Listen to what he has to say, and if he wants to use the night watch to get your attention, then allow the Lord to do that. So, first thing we see here is we see the vision in verses 10 through 12. Now let's get the message of the vision, verses 13 through 15. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land in which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. We have the vision. And now we have the message. The message is pretty simple, straightforward. Three points on the message. The first one is perspective. You see this in verse uh, 13. I am the Lord, the God of Abraham. Get the perspective down first. The perspective is he's talking to God. When you have that perspective that it's the Lord, you really start listening. I I had someone call me the other day, and I answered the phone. This was at... um, home. They called it home and I answered the phone and they started talking about something and they said something about, uh, I guess we Dawn signed up something when we were at uh, Bass Pro Shop or something like that. And I don't know if your wives do this. She always signs me up. So they call me and say like, hi, you signed up for something at Bass Pro Shop. No, I didn't. Are you James Irvin? Yeah, you did. No, I didn't. And I realized that Dawn, Dawn doesn't want the phone call, so she puts my name down. So this woman's going on, and she's talking, and she's a very nice person, and she was talking and kind of going on and on. I'm not even paying attention. I'm not interested. Because the perspective didn't matter to me. I'm not trying to be rude to this gal. Whatever she was offering me, I really just didn't care. I had another gal call me, and she wanted us to change our utilities. 
that in the state of Ohio, you can change your electric company, etc. I said, you know what? My wife's not home right now, and so therefore, I'm just going to wait till she gets home. That's a decision that we would make together. We'll pray about it together and kind of see. She said, well, can you, can you talk about it? I said, yeah, I can talk to you about it. I said, but that's something that I'm going to have to talk to my wife about, and we'll pray about it. This is what she goes. She goes, aren't you the man of the house? I said, lady, I am the man. No, I'm kidding. I didn't say that. I said, I'm the man of the house when she lets me be. That's what I said. So the point, (laughs) write that down in your notes. Um, The point is the perspective didn't matter. I I didn't care about my utilities. I didn't care about Big Bass Pro Shop. I didn't care. This is why I think it's important in verse 13. The Lord sets the perspective first. I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. God says, you better listen. This is me speaking. So we get the perspective down first. I am the Lord. The next thing you see is what does he promise them? He promises them land, the people. Look at this in verse 13. I'm going to give you the land on which you lie. I'll give to you. Verse 14, I'm going to give you the descendants. So the perspective is the Lord. The promise is the land and the people. And look at the last one. Verse 15, behold, I'm with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. The last word there is his protection. That's a pretty good deal. Perspective is it's God. The promise is the land and the people. And the last one is protection. Why is protection important? Jacob's running for his life. Now think about that. Those three things, perspective, promise, and protection, you realize that really hasn't changed? Same perspective happens to you. God wants to talk to you. Do you ever stop and you think about that? I just heard a teaching this week where it says the voice that spoke the world into existence is also the same voice that wants to speak to you. Boy, that really blew me away. The voice that spoke something from nothing is the same voice that wants to lead me on my day-to-day life. Perspective. Well, what about promises? I haven't been promised land and people, but I've been promised this, Romans eight twenty eight, and all things God works for the good of those that love Him that are called according to His purposes. I've been promised according to Psalms that the Lord is good and does good. I've been promised by Jesus that he'll never leave me nor forsake me. So I have promises. And what about protection? The Lord promises that he's my shield. Did you realize how often as believers, we're believers, we believe God created the heavens and the earth, but yet we walk in fear. Boy, we don't believe that he can protect us. We don't believe that he can watch out for us. So we still have perspective, promise, and protection for us as well. So vision, verses 10 through 12. Verses 13 through 15, perspective, promise, and protection. Well, how's Jacob going to respond to this? Verse 16, Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head, set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city had been Luz previously. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way, and I way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace then the Lord shall be my God and this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house and all that you give me I will surely give a tenth to you so we have the vision we have the message most important thing is the response because I think a lot of times as believers we, we see the vision that God has given us we hear the message that God has given us and then we don't respond to it we don't I mean, how many times have you heard a message where you mark that verse in your Bible? Oh, that's a powerful passage. And you walk out of this building and you just keep continuing down the same path. 
How many times have I heard a message where I thought, boy, that is an amazing point that pastor said. I hear it, I listen, it impacts me. It impacts me for 30 seconds. Then I go on with the rest of my life. See, it's his response that matters. What good is the vision? What good is the message if we don't do anything about it? Don't do anything about it. We were just praying back before church. I popped in for a second. Somebody prayed a verse and it just came to my mind about being a doer of the word and not just a hearer of the word. Boy, a lot of us have verses underlined. We have verses on our fridge. We have verses hanging on our wall. But are we applying it to our lives? See, Jacob now has to take this and respond. So first thing you see, verse 16, he realizes it's God. That's a good step. There's a lot of times I see people going through life and they don't even realize God's moving in their life. So verse 16, he realizes God is moving. Surely the Lord is in this place and I do not know it. And how does he describe it? Verse 17, great word. It's awesome. I think that sums it up pretty nicely. He realizes God is moving. He is overwhelmed with what God is doing. It's awesome. That's, that's a good first step. I have been saved now for 21 years and I've come to this conclusion I am now underwhelmed by God. I hate to say that. I will confess that right now. Because you know what's happened in 21 years? I've seen marriages healed. Yeah, I've seen that before. People got a good report at the doctor. Yeah, I've heard that before. Somebody just got saved. Well, that's great. I've heard that before. I have lost the awesomeness of God in verse 17. Has that happened to you? Where you have walked with the Lord so long, you've read every passage in the Bible, you've seen everything that could happen... And that's like, Lord, I don't want to be that way. I don't want to be underwhelmed by you anymore. Because every time a soul gets saved, it says the angels rejoice. So why am I not rejoicing? Every time a marriage gets healed, isn't that God still moving and working? Every time there's a passage in the Bible that's alive and active to me that shows that this book I'm reading is not dead, but it's alive. we got to be careful that we don't lose this awesomeness of God. So we have the realization... We have the awesomeness of it. And now we see, look at this action. He takes that stone, puts oil on it. Remember, oil represents the Holy Spirit. And he calls the name of the place Bethel, which means house of God. And then he makes this vow. Basically, if God takes care of me, I'll serve him. Now, if you read that, that sounds a little one-sided. Look at verse 20. If God be with me and keep me, it almost like basically he's saying is, Lord, if you take care of me and you act like my Santa Claus, I'll follow you. You have to understand a little bit of Hebrew there. That phrase, if, is really not a good translation. Better word there, and some of your translations may say this, is since God will be with me, since God will keep me, since God will take care of me, I'm going to follow him. See, when you read it as if, it reminds me of my boys talking to each other. Well, if you play this with me, I'll play this with you. No, since God is taking care of me, I want to serve him. I want to follow him because I see what he's doing in my life. And I want to respond in that way. What's the only response to the Lord? Service. What else can you give him? You you can't give him anything other than you. And that's all he wants. Last passage. Can you go to John 1, please? John 1. As we're going to John 1 to finish up here, does anybody have any quick questions, comments, or anything with Jacob, the ladder, the vision, the application, etc.? Yeah, Ron. No, he stays in Bethel for a little bit, but then he goes to this area of Padanaram. But what you see of Jacob's life is Bethel is always his homing ground. 
God sends him back to Bethel. Bethel is almost like Jacob's place of rededication to the Lord. He starts out with the Lord there, and when Jacob gets off track a little bit, it's almost like God says, hey, Jacob, go back to Bethel. So Bethel is kind of his launching pad. But no, he doesn't stay there. He still goes up to Laban's area. Anybody else have anything here? Rose. Yeah, basically, yeah, his response is, if it's all the Lord's anyway, and if God's giving to me, what's the big deal if I give him almost, you know, give him 10% back? And I think that's part of the problem that sometimes we see in the church is we have this tendency to think that it's ours. It's, it's my money, it's my house, it's my car, it's my whatever. No, it's the Lord's. He has blessed you with it. So therefore, this idea of giving back to him and giving back to him that idea of a tithe is really an offering. It's, it's a fact of worship where you say, Lord, you have so blessed me with stuff that I also want to worship you back in this area. And it's an example of faithfulness. I trust you. I trust you. If you really stop and you think about it from the world's perspective, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. Right off the top, I give away 10% of what I make. In this economy and these bills with this life, it makes no sense. That's why it's an act of worship and faith where you say, Lord, I so trust you that you always will meet my needs that I know that I don't have to worry about this because you're going to bless me back. So, anybody else have anything here before we move on? Okay, last passage. I said for you to remember the idea of the ladder. Remember the ladder? So, John 1, verse 43. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, and he said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael. And said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Stop there real quick. We don't have time. It's after 8 o'clock. But do you see what happens here? Philip is touched by Jesus. So verse 45, Philip go gets Nathaniel. So that way he can be touched by the Lord. This is how the church is supposed to work. God has moved in your life. So you want to go bring people in to say, This is what the Lord is doing. And that this is discipling, bringing people to meet Jesus. Verse 46, Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel's got a little bit of a uh, sarcastic tone there. Philip said to him, Come and see. So Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite and indeed whom is no deceit. Jesus is basically saying, well, Nathaniel, you're a straight shooter. You're going to say what you think, and you're not going to hide it. Verse 48, Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. Here's the key, verse 51. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Tied in together. Jacob saw the ladder and he saw angels descending and ascending upon the ladder. Jesus takes this reference in verse 51 and basically Jesus says, I'm the ladder. See, look at this. You'll see angels of God ascending and descending upon what? The Son of Man. Jesus. Jesus is the ladder that connects us to God. And so that's the key point here. Christ is that key connection between us and God. It shows me that God desires a relationship with us more than we could ever imagine. And if you start thinking this idea of, well, why would God want a relationship with me? Look at who we're talking about in Genesis. Jacob, the guy that put goat hair on his arms to make himself look like a hairy guy. The guy that's willing to lie about anything. And God says, you're the man I want to use to build my nation Israel. So when I see Jesus here in verse 51 saying, he's the ladder. Wow. 
God wants and desires to be with me more than I can ever imagine. And so, there's a lot of junk in my life, there's a lot of sin in my life, but Jesus is the ladder that says, I want to connect you to heaven and to the Lord. And boy, what a beautiful picture that is. Beautiful picture that is. All right, have any final questions, comments here before we go ahead and close up? All right, let's have a word of prayer. We'll let you guys go. We'll continue on next week with Genesis 29, and Jacob meets his match. And Laban. So, it's going to get interesting here next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we just come to you. Help us, Lord. When you reveal to us the plan, help us to hear the message and then to follow through on it, Lord. Help us to have a Bethel experience where we stop and we say, I'm yours. And Lord, thank you for being the ladder, the ladder that brings us to you. Thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy, Lord. We love you and we praise you. We lift this up in your name. Amen. Alright, you guys have a good week. God bless.